Glad you're here today, and uh, I, I want us to talk again about this whole matter of, um, of how we got here and why we're here, and um, is it just a cosmic mistake? The Bible teaches otherwise. In fact, we see that in the book of Romans uh, chapter 1, and if you're physically able to do so, I'd like to read our text this morning beginning in verse 18, as we read last week. Next week, we're going to look specifically at Psalms 139, but today, Romans 1, chapter 1, verse 18 and following. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools." And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Lord, thank you that we have truth, the ultimate source of truth in your word. And I pray this morning, Father, as we look at your word, that you will use it, Father, to correct us, to transform us, to challenge us, to change us. Father, we pray that you will speak now from your holy word to our hearts and our souls. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. The book of Romans has been, and I think rightly so, referred to as the Constitution of Christianity. And that's because it is maybe the most doctrinal-centered book of all of the books in the Scripture. And so it is a, one of those books that we turn to, 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 to remain doctrinally correct and doctrinally straight. Now, all of God's Word is doctrinally correct, but this book uh, in many ways is kind of the constitution of our faith. And, and Paul is very direct. As you can see in the passage we just read, he's very direct. And I suspect that that passage that we read doesn't set well in the culture we're living in today. What do you think? But it is uh, part of God's word and it is a part of our Christian constitution. And it's important that we understand it. And this passage in particular um, it takes us in a lot of areas, into a lot of areas, but one of those is uh, all about our origins and how we got here. I read a true story of a lady who bought a, a new house, and after she had lived there for a while, a fire broke out in the walls, in the wiring inside the walls of her house. Now, the house didn't burn down, and she got the fire put out, but the fire chief told her, said, ma'am, this house has faulty wiring in it, and you probably need to go back to the builder or the contractor and have them uh, take care of this and redo this uh, wiring or whatever. So she tried to find the contractor. She was searching in the area for the builder, and she couldn't find the builder or the contractor because, that's, because he was no longer building homes. In fact, <clears throat> 
He had taken a position in the county as the building inspector. And he was now responsible for inspecting the wiring in the houses that were being built. Isn't that interesting? True story. And I think it's a picture uh, today of an age in which it seems that the people who don't know how to wire their own lives are now trying to tell everybody else how to wire and run theirs. You see, people, we now live in a world that's in a tragic condition because we have no fixed standard of right and wrong. And we're being fed myths as if those myths were facts and truths. And the house is burning down. And one of the myths that we're being fed today is a leading uh, myth that uh, many have uh, believed, and it's led to a kind of misbelief, and it's on your outline there. It's the myth that man was not divinely created, but is merely the product of chance and evolution. It is a myth that you are simply a byproduct of the cosmos, that you are, in effect, nothing more than a great cosmic accident. It is a myth that teaches that there was no creator, and so you have no ultimate value. And accordingly, the, the goal is simply survival. But it's a destructive myth. Now, I said to you last week that this is one of the most accepted cultural and academic myths in your world. But there are many Christians who have swallowed this, or those who confess to follow, following Christ have swallowed this same idea. Well, we're, we're here by, the, by evolution. Well, let me review a couple of things from the message last week, all right? Number one, it's on your outlines filled in. We talked about the unscientific declaration. What's being taught in this myth? What is being taught, we said, is that evolution is a scientific fact. That's being taught. When in reality, it is a theory. And even at that, the theory doesn't meet the four steps of the scientific method that scientists themselves established as a requirement in order for a theory to move from theory to scientific fact. Nonetheless, it's promoted, promoted through media, promoted through education and publications. It's promoted as an undisputed fact. The second thing that we looked at was the unspoken implication or implications of this myth. And what is sought in the implications? Well, why is this emphasis on evolution so promoted? And the reason is because what is sought is the subtle implication that there is no creator, there's no God. And if that's the case, then the Bible, the boundaries, uh, sin, and anything that God stated or anything that God commanded uh, of his creation can be simply dismissed as irrelevant. Now today I want to move to two more truths from our passage that counter the myth that you're just an accident, that you're just a byproduct of the uh, cosmic universe. And the third thing that I want you to see about this myth is the unintended devastation it produces. The unintended devastation it produces. Uh, verse 18, look again at that. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. One of the reasons that I picked this passage, this Romans passage, is because no passage better shows the devastation that happens to us when we exchange the truth of God for myths and lies of the age. 
And notice verse 18 says that they suppress the truth. That is, they try to hide it. Or they try to dismiss it. Or they deny it. Or they downplay it. Why? Because the truth affirmed demands a different kind of behavior. So they, they suppress the truth in unrighteousness through their unrighteous behavior and unrighteous habits and unrighteous ideas. They suppress the truth and they promote the unrighteous side as if that were the truth and everything else was a lie. But the fact is what's being sought and what's being taught in, uh, in this is to try to persuade you to believe the myth so that you, you won't have to deal with a life or behavior. Now, note that it says in our passage that they became futile in their thinking. That's what a godless myth will do. It will lead to destructive and devastating thinking. It'll lead to misbelief of the mind. Now, our world is full of people that resist the truth of God. It isn't, listen, it isn't that they can't believe. It is that they refuse to believe. And he even says that in verse 21, for although they knew God, and he talks about they, for what can be known about God, he talks about that in verse 19. They knew God. It wasn't that they couldn't believe. It is that they refused to believe. A culture refuses to believe and then adopt and create in place of God alternative beliefs to try and annul sin, hoping that they can avoid accountability by changing the ideas or the beliefs or accountability. In other words, they create mythical beliefs and explanations in an attempt to normalize their behavior. Some years ago, Dr. John MacArthur in his magazine Masterpiece had an article in which he talked about the fact that we've come to a place in our culture that he calls the death of common sense morality. And in the uh, uh, article to reaffirm that, he talked about two illustrations that were carried in a major newspaper on the same day. The incidents took place in Cincinnati, Ohio, and in one matter in Cincinnati, there was an eight-member jury that ruled that some very graphic uh, photographs from a, a, the late photographer, Robert Maplethorpe, were not obscene. The court ruled that this, they weren't obscene, these photographs that he ha had taken, because he had posted these in the Cincinnati Contemporary Art Center. But they were so vile, they were sadomasochistic and graphic depictions of sexual activities that included nude children in very explicit positions. In fact, listen, things so graphic and so perverse that I can't even really describe them from this pulpit. And uh, not only that, even the national news media, when they would talk about it, even then they couldn't find appropriate terminology to describe the nature of the photos. In fact, these photos were so depraved and immoral that the news people were using euphemisms and vague terminology to describe them. These unimaginable acts that people would engage in and then just and take pictures of them and then to get by with the perversion designated as art on top of the fact that require your tax dollars to pay for it and then post it in this, this, uh, this museum, a contemporary arts center in Cincinnati. Now, the sad thing is this, because it was taken to court, uh, uh, 
a jury listened to a panel of art experts. In fact, Newsweek magazine at the time said an array of art experts testified to the court that the content aside, the photos were the work of a serious and brilliant artist. And so the court took just two hours to come back and render their verdict that this was not obscenity or perversity because a self-proclaimed artist said it was art. And so they ruled that it was perfectly acceptable to display in the Cincinnati Museum of Contemporary Art. On the same day that that article appeared, another article appeared in the same newspaper. And it was related to an incident with the NFL football coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. You see, he had been fined $23,000. Do you know what he was fined for? He refused to allow a female reporter into the men's locker room while they were undressed. And so he was fined $23,000 while at the same time this unmentionable filth and perversion was ruled acceptable art. The incredible duplicity of a culture that has no foundations, uh, of a culture that has, has lost its understanding of what truth is and what a lie is by just simply changing terminology. I heard this morning one of the deacons shared with me that a a congressman, I don't know if it was this morning or this weekend or this past week, but made a statement before Congress and said, uh, God's will is not Congress's business. And that's the problem, dear brothers and sisters. And you change the terminology, and guess what happens? You begin to believe a lie. That's what Paul's talking about here. And if you can change the terminology about how you got here, guess what? Then you can change all the rules. Now, why does it happen? The reason it happens is because of a lie and that lie being treated by the culture as its truth. And it produces a futile way of thinking, a kind of thinking that, that leads to a darkness of the heart and then a rod in your soul. Look at verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, futile thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. The Greek word for darkened there in this passage means to become incapable of understanding what's right. In fact, Isaiah said it this way. He said, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Listen, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Futile thinking leads to unintended devastation. So what's wrought by that? That's the question on your out. What is wrought by this kind of of thinking? Well, what is wrought is the wrath of God. God's wrath is wrought when we exchange the truth for a lie. In fact, when you open this section of Scripture, the initial statement Paul makes is, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. God's wrath is wrought when we believe lies over the truth. Now, what does, what does that look like? Well, number one, it looks like this, self-deception. When you believe lies, it will lead to your own self-deception. Verse 22 says, we talked about it last week, claiming to be wise, they became fools. When a person begins any argument with a false premise, he ends up with a false conclusion. 
If you begin any argument with a false premise, you end up with a false conclusion. Proverbs 12, 15, Solomon said it this way, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. If you start with a false premise, you're going to end up with a false conclusion. But not only does, do lies lead to self-deception, lies also lead to self-destruction. Look at verses 25, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creator, uh, the creature rather than the creator. And then verse 27, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Lies not only lead to self-deception, lies lead to self-destruction. You cannot believe lies... You cannot coddle myths. You cannot cling to sin without eventual devastating results. Some years ago, I read about a couple, and they had a precious little baby, and uh, they also had a baby leopard, and they had decided to raise that baby leopard in the house. And, uh, And one morning, they were sitting in another room. The baby was in the nursery. They were sitting in another room, and they were drinking their coffee when all of a sudden they heard a blood curdling scream from their baby and they ran into the next room and they found that the baby leopard had gnawed off three of the baby's fingers. Now, what do you think they did with that leopard? Do you think they said to that leopard, oh, you naughty little leopard? Do you think they took a newspaper and swatted it and said, don't you do that again? You know what they did with it? They had it put down. Uh, they, they dealt with it directly. But they were fools to have it there to begin with. They were fools because they, they coddled it. They were fools because they believed a lie. They believed that they could control the leopard. And so they, they held on to it and they cling to it and they coddled it and they babied it. And eventually it brought devastation to their lives. I want to ask you, are you coddling myths and lies? Are there any myths cultural myths, cultural lies that you believed over the Word of God and you're coddling those things? Or you're, you're coddling that, that lie, you're coddling some sin that nailed Jesus to the cross? Well, you need to know that one day it will destroy you. Solomon also writing in Proverbs 14 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but it is the way of death. You see, eventually rebellion against the truth of God brings devastation and it'll bring discipline, listen, not only to people, but to nations. It may surprise you, by the way, let me just say this, that that sometimes the wrath of God doesn't initially fall from heaven. When we talk about the wrath of God, we often think, oh, you know, it's going to fall down and it can, and there will be a day when there will be that kind of expression of the wrath of God. But listen, did you know most of the time, In our world, God doesn't just drop it in such a dramatic way. You know what he does? He lets us live under our own condemnation. He lets us think we're so smart, and he lets us exchange the truth of God for a lie. And he turns us over to our own foolishness and our own uh, self-dependence and our own wisdom, and it brings about our own ruin. Notice verse 24. Look at verse 24 in your Bible. Therefore, God gave them up. Look at verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up 
Look at verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased, there it is again, mind, futile thinking, to do what ought not be done. You know, sometimes God allows us to bring our own self-judgment. He just releases us to our own devices. He says, you want to live that way? I'm going to give you over. I'm going to give you over. To a futile mind, to a reprobate mind, I'm just going to give you over. That's the way you want to think? I'm going to let you live out your own thoughts, and they'll bring ruin and death and destruction to you. Sometimes that's what God does. He says, that's my hand of judgment. It says they received in themselves the penalty for their actions. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also, what class? He'll reap. Don't ever think there's not a day of reckoning, there's not accountability, that there's not wrath or judgment for those who have suppressed the truth with unrighteousness. But we must always ask ourselves, am I one of those? Now, here's why I say that. Paul's writing to the church at Rome, who obviously was struggling with the very things he's having to address to them. He's, he's dealing with the culture of the first century, which was a wicked pagan culture, just like the 21st century that we're living in. There's so many parallels, uh, but, but he's dealing with that, but he's also talking to the church. He's saying, don't, you, don't, don't believe the lies. Don't believe the myths. Because God's not mocked. And what you don't want is for God to give you over. God to give you over. You know when you begin to realize that maybe God has given you over? You know the Bible says that the Spirit of God left Saul and he didn't even know it? What a tragedy. But you want to know when, when God is giving you over when sin no longer bothers you. God may be giving you up or you've coddled some leopard and it doesn't bother you anymore and God's given you up he's given you over to a reprobate mind to do to to live it the way you want Christians who say things like this well I know what the Bible says but I, you know we also have to live in this world yes we do but the Bible also says come out from among them and be separate that means separate in your worldview, separate in the things that you hold to, the behaviors that characterize your life. You want to know if God's given you over? Do you fall under conviction about your sin? Does it bother you when you sin? Do you cry out and say, God, uh, uh, against you? Like David, you remember David and Bathsheba? You remember what David, uh, when he was confronted by Nathan the prophet and said, you're the man it's your sin. Do you remember what David prayed to God? He said, God, against you and you only have I sinned. He knew first and foremost that sin is before a holy God. I want to ask you something. Does your sin bother you? Not, are you a sinner? We're all sinners. The question is, does your sin bother you? And friend, if your sin stops bothering you, you're moving into the category that Paul was talking about where he, God gave them over to a reprobate mind where they had exchanged the truth for a lie. God gave them up. He gave them up. He gave them. Did you see it three times? Hey, that's a pretty strong emphasis. Why is Paul saying that? He's saying it because he wants the church to understand 
that if you become more like the church than the, I mean, more like the culture than the kingdom, you may be headed in a bad place. But finally today, there's one other thing I want you to see, and that is I want you to see the undeniable revelations. Now, hang on with me for just a minute as I, I wrap it up with this. I, I want you to see the undeniable revel, uh, revelations, verses 19 and 20. What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it uh, to them for his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are, not, uh, are without excuse. The undeniable revelations. Now, commonly we hear this. Creation is religion. You know, if you're into uh, uh, creationism is how it is generally referred to. If you're a creationist, well, that's religion. But evolution is science. Now, when a person says that they believe God created, then they are dismissed on religious grounds. Well, that's religion. But when a scientist says we got here through evolution, it is assumed that he speaks with unquestioned authority. But those labels are false. In fact, let me prove to you that it takes more faith to believe in evolution than it does a creator. I talked some about this last week, but I, I want you to get this. All of the evidence, by the way, of man's origin exists in the present. Now, scientists rely heavily on the fossil record. And when we look at fossils, which is a major source for them, for evolutionists, there are huge problems. You know what the problems are? There's no transitional forms in the fossil record. They can't find a, a fossil that, that, that actually evidences uh, the, the transition process, meaning uh, a, a, a tadpole into a frog or, or a frog developing a, a, a wing or something like that. They can't find any transitional forms. There are huge gaps in the fossil record. And by the way, every once in a while, scientists will discover a species of animal or a plant that is alive that they had previously declared extinct. So what do they do when they discover that? You know what they do? They call it, in, they call it a living fossil. Oh, that's a living fossil. Why? Why do they do that? Well, because what they're really saying is, whoops, this animal or this plant shouldn't be here, but it is, and it's an embarrassment to us, so we'll call it a living fossil to make it uh, seem more scientifically accurate. In fact, listen to one uh, evolutionary scientist, Dr. Uh, Alrod Romer of Harvard University, and I quote, he says, links, links are missing. That is, in the fossil record, there's no connection just where we most fervently desire them, they're missing. And it is all too probable that many links will continue to be missing. And note what leading evolutionist and world-famous paleontologist Stephen Jay Gould of Harvard said, and I quote, a quote direct from him, paleontologists have paid an exorbitant price for Darwin's argument. We fancy ourselves as only true the only true students of life's history. He said, we paleontology, we evolution, we fancy, we're the only true students of how life's history developed. He goes on to say, yet to preserve our, favor, uh, our favored account of evolution by natural selection, we view our data, that is the fossil record, as so bad that we never see the very process of evolution that we profess to study. 
Are y'all getting that? In other words, <laughs> he's really saying, as Dr. Romer and others are saying, it actually takes faith to believe their own theory because the evidence they just said doesn't support it. Friend, that's what futile thinking looks like. When it assumes something to be a fact, even though there's no evidence to support it. What I want you to see is that evolution requires more faith than creation by God. Because it is a belief about the past based on the opinion of men who confess that they do not know everything and were not there to observe it. And much of this futile thinking hides behind the cloak of science when they present their case. They say something like this, well, we're scientists. And of course, we work in a completely unbiased fashion because we're scientists. And they will often say, who are you to question us? We're scientists. You're not a scientist. So that label will often be thrown. You can't ask a question because you're not a scientist and you just wouldn't understand. Why do they say things like this, that they are, they're scientists and, and they work in a completely unbiased fashion? Well, as Sir Arthur Keith, the Scottish anatomist and anthropologist said, and I quote, evolution is unproved and unprovable. We believe in it because the only, listen to this, we believe in it because the only alternative is special creation, meaning God. So we believe in evolution because that's the only other alternative is that God created and then he adds, and that's unthinkable. Now, as I said to you last week, I, I'm not arguing from an unbiased position. No one argues from an unbiased position, including scientists. And I'm perfectly willing to admit my bias. But as I told you last week, the real issue is not are scientists biased, not are we biased, uh, creationists. The question is, which is the best bias to be biased with? I mean, that's the real question, isn't it? Because your bias affects what you do with the evidence, right? So Sir Arthur Keith says, it, we don't have evidence to prove evolution, but we're going to accept evolution because we don't like the alternative, and that is it would have to be a, spe a, a, a special creator, Isaac Asimov, the well-known scientist and atheist, many, for many years of his life, he spoke out loudly that there's no God. He said, there is no God. There is no God. There is no God. So let me ask you a question. If he looked at any evidence, whether fossils or plants, could he ever have allowed for the possibility that God created or that the Bible is true? Of course not. Because he's already presupposed and presumed his bias is that God doesn't exist. So no matter what the fossil record says, or the, the, that by the way, I'm reading a book about how the fossil evidence and the flood, the great flood go together, but, uh, but he couldn't accept any evidence because he's already said on, said on the front side, though I'm a scientist, I refuse to believe that, that God could exist. Are y'all following me? I heard about an academic leader who told a creationist, I don't care if you find Noah's Ark and drag it down the middle of the street, I'm not going to believe in God. Well, how's that for being unbiased as a scientist? 
You see, he's already decided he won't believe in God no matter what evidence exists. He is saying, in effect, I don't care what the scientific or biblical record says about creation and God. I have already decided not to believe. Now, think about it. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. That's what Paul said. So a person can refuse to believe, but it's no excuse. And why is that? It's because of the answer to the question, what is caught? What is caught? And Paul says, we catch the truth of creation. We catch the truth about, about our origins by the revelation of God. And verses 19 and 20 make that clear, that God has revealed himself to man so that not, not to believe is to deny the very revelation of God. God has already revealed himself. What is caught is the innate and natural revelation of God to humanity. And God has revealed himself in a couple of ways. All right, write this down. Number one, he has revealed himself through human conscience. He has revealed himself through human conscience. Blaise Pascal, the great ancient mathematician and philosopher said this. He said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in every human heart and only God can fill it. I heard about a man who owned a, a, a national trucking firm and, and before he hired people, they often took a polygraph test. He would require that of them. And, and one of the questions that, that was asked on that polygraph test to every person that applied was, do you believe in God? And occasionally, there would be someone taking the test who'd applied for a job who would answer the question, I don't believe in God. I don't know if this is the case everywhere, but this man said the lie detector test said every time that that person was lying. Every time they said, nope, I don't believe in God. Every time, he said they never came up with one interview of a person that said that, that the polygraph did not come out in their heart. The consciousness knows that there is a creative swap. Uh, Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes and says that God has made everything beautiful in its time. Listen to this. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. He's put eternity into man's heart. So God has revealed himself he, he, in his content. So what can be known of God is known is what he says and he says, although they knew God, the human conscience. The second way that God has revealed himself is not only through human conscience, but he's, he's revealed himself through his creation. The evidence of God is all around us and in us. Uh, think about your brain, for example. There's no computer like it on the planet. It works with 30 billion nerve cells. Even atheist Isaac Asimov said it's the most complex and orderly structure in the universe. Carl Sagan, himself an atheist, said years ago that he wanted the government to give him a multi-million dollar grant and telescope so he could look into the universe for signs of intelligent life. Friend, all he had to do was look through a microscope at the human cell to find evidence of intelligent life. Did you know the uh, skin the size of a postage stamp has three million cells? And each of those cells contain both matter and information. 
Scientists can't explain how either the matter or the information got there. We're told that just one cell contains enough information to fill literally several libraries. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm going to talk about that next week. Your body contains more than 60,000 miles of veins, capillaries, and arteries, all of them transporting between 10 and 30 pints of blood through your system every minute. And then consider your eye. Your eye has the capacity to adjust to more than 10,000 light settings. And it can transfer information to your brain in a micro millisecond. And that's what Paul is saying. The evidence of God's creation is within you. Did that happen by chance? One in a billion trillion. It's mathematically impossible. But he's also saying not only is the evidence of God within you, the evidence of God is all around you. Think about this. If you go down inside a canyon somewhere and you see along a trail, you see three stones stacked up neatly on top of each other, you realize that those stones were put there by a guide. They are a marker. Why? Because rain and wind and water don't do that. They, they distribute things randomly. But when you see order, you recognize that an intelligence uh, stacked those stones. When you find an arrowhead or a stone, you recognize the intelligence behind the arrowhead, right? You, you find an arrowhead. I don't know if you ever found one. I found a, a couple when I was a kid and looking for them. And I found them. And here's what you understand, that that... that arrowhead didn't form itself. It took intelligence to shape it into what it was. Just look at this building. Look at the furniture. Go look at the parking lots. Go look at the roadways. All of them testify to intelligent design. They didn't just happen. We didn't say, we're going to build a building. We're going we're to get all the parts. We're going to put them in a big pile, and we're going to set off a stick of dynamite. And we'll just keep doing it until it forms a worship center or a classroom. It's absurd. You see, when you look at the things in your world, you realize that they didn't happen. They, some intelligence was behind them. And to assume that it all happened without any intelligence is like saying that your car came to uh, came to be because of an earthquake in a junkyard. Friend, listen, it required intelligence, and that's what God's saying. That's why he says in verse 20, so that all, a person just look around. That's all they have to do is look around, and they see that there's intelligence behind this universe. They see that there's intelligence behind its design, and they are without excuse. And so Paul is telling us right here, in Romans, that creation itself validates it is the revelation of God. Creation, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Again, I'll talk about it next week. The creation within and without testifies that this is intelligence, not chance. A person might say something like this, well, I have an intellectual problem. That's my problem. I have an intellectual problem, Pastor. Well, someone said that to Dr. Adrian Rogers, and his response was this. He said, no, you don't. You have a sin problem. You say, hey, now that's pretty blunt, but it's true. 
Unbelief never comes out of the head. It comes out of the heart. It is not that you cannot believe. It is that you will not believe. You, you can say, well, I'm an intellectual. Well, so what? He says, I know of a lot of intellectuals who believe in God. You say, well, I, I know some ignorant people who, who believe in God. Well, I know some ignorant people who don't believe in God. It has nothing to do with your intellect. Nothing. You show me an intellectual giant who doesn't believe, and I'll show you one who does believe. You show me an ignorant person who believes, and I'll show you an ignorant person who doesn't believe. It has nothing to do with that. It is not contrary to reason. It is beyond reason. You see, God has supernaturally revealed himself to every human heart, and man has to kick his conscience to death. A man has to repress it and smother it in order to believe lies. So the bottom line is that there is the revelation of God's truth. You either receive it or you reject it or you suppress it or you hide it or you deny it. William Blake, the English poet, said this. He said, there's none so blind as those who refuse to see. Do you remember when the Apostle Paul the light on the Damascus Road, and the Apostle Paul uh, was changed and transformed. And he was blinded. And he went to Ananias, the, the high priest, and he spent time with the high priest there. And then after days, it says the scales fell from his eyes. Everything changed. And this man who'd, who'd spent his life rising among the Pharisees and was, as by his own testimony, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, rising among the Pharisees, he spent his professional life until he met Jesus trying to kill Christians, wipe out the church. And now suddenly when the scales fell from his eyes, he was trying to plant the churches, not kill the churches. And he spent the rest of his life saying, I I lived under lies because my eyes were blinded, but Jesus has opened my eyes. And the scales fall. Do you know the Bible says that the God of this world, Satan himself, blinds the eyes of those who do not believe? One of the things that I pray often for, for folks that I know that do not believe in Christ, I pray God calls the scales to fall. The, the enemy has blinded their eyes. And that's why a person can sit under the word of God. It makes no difference to them. It is because unless the spirit causes the scales to fall, a work of his conviction in the heart of a, a human to soften a darkened heart or a hardened heart, listen, uh, they won't see. They'll just say, that doesn't make sense. I just don't agree with it. I just don't like it. But don't you be fooled as a believer. Don't you swallow the myths. By the way, church, believers, he's writing to to the church at Rome. Listen, don't let the culture tell you what truth is. Don't let them tell you to believe the myth because we're just advancing and we become more progressive. Don't, Don't believe that. Always, everything must be filtered through the lens of what does God say. Everything is filtered there. And if you'll do that, you may not be the most popular person in the world, but you will be able to live your life on the straight path of truth. But it is Christ and his spirit in us 
that, in, that enables his truth to resonate through our life. Would you bow your head, close your eyes, no one looking about in this place. Before we're gone, I want to give you an opportunity to trust Christ because maybe your eyes have been blinded. You're listening perhaps by live stream in this live audience, you're, and your eyes have been blinded. Or there's no, there's no conviction of sin. You, you've coddled the leopard of sin in your life, and there's just no conviction about it. Has God given you up? to a futile mind, to a reprobate mind, to a mind that has caused your heart to be darkened and hardened and your soul resistant to the truth. Today, you can change all of that. You can call on Jesus Christ, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And right where you are in this place, watching by live stream, you can call out and say, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me and dying for my sins on, on the cross. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. And I know I need you. Thank you for making a way for me. And I believe you are the truth, the life, and the way. And today, I invite you to come in, forgive me of my sin, be my Savior and make me new, just as you've promised in your word. I receive you as my Savior. Then perhaps in this place or watching online, you're saying, you know what? The, the conviction of God, I, I'm worried. I don't, I, I'm not convicted anymore. I, I'm too comfortable in the world. Say, so God, stir in me again. Reignite in me the fire of the Spirit of God to convict me and to show me the way to live. Father, would you hear these prayers today? I know you will. You've already promised that. But Father, hear these prayers. Change lives. Father, help us not to be ashamed of you, nor of your word and your truth. I know it's getting harder and harder and harder and harder. It's hard sometimes with family. It's hard sometimes with friends. It's hard in the workplaces. It's getting harder and harder. But Father, I pray that you'll give us the power of the Spirit inside to live for you each moment of each day. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you look this way before we're gone? If you called out to the Lord this morning in this place or online, would you let us know about your decision? You can text the word PASTOR, P-A-S-T-O-R, to 334-384-8080. For those of you who are watching by live stream, it will be on your screen. You can use the tear-off panel in your worship folder, live audience, for any decision. Maybe you're here and you're not a member of Ridgecrest, but we sure would like to have you as a part of this family. You know Christ and you want to become a part of our family, just check that join. Or if you need to be baptized, and we'll schedule a time for you to be baptized. Just check that and then take that tear-off panel and drop it in the offering plates. Or you can, uh, or the offering baskets, I should say. And, or you can uh, uh, meet with us out at the Welcome Center desk. We'll be out there and you just come by and say, hey, what do I do with this? And yes, we'd love for you to do that as well. We've got a special bag for you. Then those of you watching online, join. You'd like to join Ridgecrest. You're headed back to our gatherings are increasing, and you're headed back uh, to be a part of these gatherings. And you say, I need a church family. We would so like Ridgecrest to be that family for you. 
you're a believer, just, just text us the word JOIN, J-O-I-N, to that same number, 334-384-8080. We'll get it. We know what to do with it, and we'll take it from there.